Would you turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy? What a privilege we have as a church to pray for one another. What a privilege we have as a church to understand what it is that God is trying to say to us. The place we are in Scripture right now is a, it's a pure and simple, it's a battleground. Um, I, I understand fully, as you do, that our, the Lord Jesus Christ has called you and me as followers of His to an abundant life. That, that's true. It's, it's simply true. We've been called for love. We've been called to peace. We've been called to joy. We've been called to have communion and fellowship with one another. This is true beyond measure. But there is also another side to Scripture, and we cannot deny it, nor can we hide from it. And when we come to it, we must address it, because there is the Christian life that, 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 that if we're not careful, is not found within the pulpit, we're not within the messages that are preached. And, and we must remember, as we studied in Ephesians, that Paul set the whole book of Ephesians up to tell us that, that we are to, in Ephesians 6.11, we are to put on the full armor of God because we are to be prepared to enter into a lifelong fight against the evil world system in which we live and our own sinful flesh. Thus, we've come to a section that, that, that Paul is reminding Timothy of his call upon his life. Please, just bear with me. Just, I promise we'll end on time, but bear with me. I, I just want to review. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls Timothy his true child in the faith. He had a tremendous love for Timothy. And then it says in verse 3, he urged Timothy to remain in Ephesus. And, it, and we, that seems to indicate that Timothy said, I, I don't think I want to stay here. I, I think this is just my reading into it. But I, I think Timothy was saying, I'm, I'm too young. This is a huge task you're calling me to, Paul. Because there are those here in, in this church that are teaching strange doctrines, as it says in verse 3. They're paying attention, verse 4, to myths, endless genealogies. They're giving rise to mere speculations. They're not furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. They want to be teachers, it says. No, in verse 6, they, they've strayed from the things and they've turned aside to fruitless discussions. In other words, they're causing dissensions within the ranks. And who am I? I can almost hear Timothy. Who am I? Who am I, Paul? And then we saw in the, the following week, we saw last week, Paul says, here's who you are. You're an extension of me. Here's who you are. Here's my testimony. Timothy, listen to my testimony. I was a blasphemer. I persecuted the church. But God, God lifted me up and God gave me a place. He, he has taught me and I'm teaching you and you can teach them, Timothy. And so we come to today's message. This section of Scripture, just three amazing verses. But what I want you to note, well, let me read it to you first and then I'll tell you what I want you to know. Look, verse 18, Paul reminds his true son in the face, saying, This command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight. You fight the good fight. 
How? Verse 19, by keeping your faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and they've suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Harmenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, Paul says, so they, they, they may be taught not to blaspheme. I want you to know something. Hermenius and Alexander were teachers in that church, meaning that they were leaders of some sort. They had some position of leadership there. And here are these men who are disrupting the church, leaders within that church. And Paul is saying, watch over this church, care for this church, do not allow these people to, to pull people away from their faith, Timothy. I'm going to pray in a moment, but in verse 18, the word command is a very interesting word. It is P-A-R-A-N-G-E-L-I-N. -E it's used as a military order. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, this is not a suggestion I'm giving you, Tim. This is not open for discussion, Timothy. This is a mandate that you are to carry out obediently. Look, I will give you a clue to this. Look at chapter 6, just for a moment. Just chapter 6 ahead. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without strain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a suggestion. Look at verse 20, Timothy, verse 20 of chapter 6. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Paul understood clearly what he was asking Timothy because he went through this battle just like any of us who have ever been in church ministry at all or even sat in church. We understand. We should understand. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, listen, don't turn, just listen, please. He says, I... If I preach the gospel, Paul says, I have, nothing, I have nothing to boast of. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, he says. Because, he says, I am under compulsion. I can't stop myself. And then Paul says, woe, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He says, if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. If I do it against my will... I have a stewardship that has been entrusted to me. Paul said to Timothy, preach the, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready, in season and out of season. Folks, Timothy had a duty, as just you and I do. I have a duty that any pastor or any staff person knows about. But sadly, many contemporary churches have allowed Members, members within the ranks to miss the reality of this battle. You know, we've become a church, not this church, maybe this church, but I, I hope not. 
But churches have become a place where there's this easy believism, this, this cheap grace. And we've acquired an inadequate concept of the spiritual struggle that is involved in loving Jesus Christ. Not here. Not in my watch. No. Not here. No. Not my watch. I can't help it. I'm under compulsion. Not here. Not under my watch. Father in heaven above, you've called us to to stand strong in what we believe. And also, Father, you call us that we don't make decisions haphazardly. God forbid. God forbid. You've asked us to, to not just do something that seems like the right thing to do. We're to make sure it is the right thing to do. And Father, when we move, we do that. We check and fail check, and we make sure and so, Father, would you please bless, not this church, of course, this church, but not just this church, every, every church. Dear Father, bless, bless, bless your holy and righteous name. We sang of it so beautifully with Anthony and Vivian and, and, and his group. Uh, Father, it was a time of worship that just touched my soul. May we bless you, Father. May I move aside so that that I would not stand in the way of what is being taught. And, and Father, may I not, may I not shudder away or, or move away from difficulties, things. Uh, just preach the gospel. That's it. Preach it. And preach it as you uh, allow it to come forward. We're not going to contrive anything in this, this Bible, Father. We're just going to preach the word as, as it comes forth. And so bless everybody here, please, and, and and Father, teach us a great, great lesson about church and one another and loving each other. As we prayed for the young people, VBS, thank you for what happened. Thank you for those in charge. We pray for those that are going on camping trips from the young adults to our high school and junior hires. Bless them, watch over them. As we pray for Jennifer, care for her on her trip and journeys to uh, Israel. Watch over now, Father, bless us as we go into your word and minister to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. I want you to look at something. This I would love for you to turn to with me. Romans chapter 7. I want you to see that Paul fully understands the battleground that you and I are about to enter into. All of us are to enter into. You see, when you walk into faith, you stand on on what is very judgmental grounds at times. You, you, you try to make decisions that, that are of, 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 of certain. And you, 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 don't, you don't just make them, but you realize that we're frail, every single one of us. We are all frail before our Almighty God. And so in Romans chapter 7, listen to Paul's statement concerning himself. He says in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. 
this. This is what we are studying. This, this book that we study here is spiritual. This, this cuts through everything. This is spiritual. But Paul says, in the process of going through what is spiritual, I, he says, on the other hand, I'm flesh. In other words, he is saying what you and I are. We are all susceptible. We are all sinners saved by the, the grace of God. So we are flesh. We are sold, it says in verse 14, into the bondage of sin. Then Paul makes this amazing statement. This is one of the reasons why I love him so much. He says, for, for what I am doing, I, I don't understand. I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the, the very thing I hate. Now, I could ask you to raise your hand if that's your testimony. I don't, please. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But let me just say to you, I relate to verse 15 with all my heart. I want to do what is right, but sometimes I don't. I do the very things I don't want to do. What? Why? I don't get it. Here's why. Paul says in verse 18, because he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. I'm a human being here. I'm, I'm wrestling against the spiritual side of me and this fleshly side of me. He says, the willing is present. I want to do it, but the doing of it is not. Is that not an amen? You don't have to amen. Yeah. <laughs> he says in verse 19, the good that I want to do, I don't do. I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. Oh my gosh. Paul, thank you. Thank you for being so honest because it gives, I think, all of us hope. He says in verse 20, if I'm doing it, the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it. It's sin that dwells within me. Now watch what he says. Jump way ahead to verse 24. And you know, there's really a, um, there's a bad break in this place in Scripture. Chapter 8 should flow with chapter 7. There, there really shouldn't be this chapter break. Verse 24 says, Wretched person that I am, who is going to set me free from this body of death? And then he gives us the answer. He gives us the answer. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. On the one hand, with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. On the other hand, with my flesh, sin. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you and me free. Set us free. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. Because what the law could not do, weak as it was through our flesh, God did. And he did it by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for our sins. He condemned sin in the flesh. We have been set free. Set free. And so what Paul is doing back in 1 Timothy is trying to, is trying to deal with Timothy who who has to gear up for a battle that he was about to face in the church at Ephesus. And he's doing battle with leaders within the church. Hambenius, Alexander, men who were teaching, men who more than likely had a following of sorts. And yet he had to stop them. 
And so Paul calls Timothy to oppose the church false leaders and teachers who were in positions of power and in positions of authority and were causing dissension, disunity amongst the body of Christ. Who in the world would do that? Who would do that? To understand the full scope of Timothy's battle and ours as well, what we need to do is to step back for just a moment. Take a deep breath and look at the big picture. Because as Paul explained in, in, in Romans chapter 7, there is a spiritual conflict and there is also a human conflict. A spiritual conflict at its highest level is a war between God Almighty and Satan. But also on a human level, there is this spiritual conflict between our flesh and our pride that Paul explained in Romans chapter 7 daily in his life. So how did, how did we come to this place as, as believers in Jesus Christ? What has made sin so devious in our lives, so disruptive? I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Now Isaiah's you know, in the kind of middle to the right. If you go to the middle of the, the Old Testament, you get to the Psalms, and then turn to the right, and you'll, you'll go past Ecclesiastes and, 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 and some, but you'll come to Isaiah chapter 14. While you're turning there, listen. Listen to what Ezekiel says about Satan, who is called Lucifer. He says, Your heart, talking about Lucifer, Satan, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. In other words, Satan became enamored by his beauty and his splendor, his pride. And where there is pride, there has a tendency to be a, a sin of rebellion. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, confirms that pride indeed was Satan's downfall. In verse 12 it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. He's talking about Lucifer. The son of the dawn. You've been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. Note, not, note how Satan's pride is revealed in the five I wills found in verses 13 and 14 of Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 13, You said this in your heart, Lucifer. I will ascend to heaven you said this in your heart, Lucifer, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. You said this in your heart, Lucifer, I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. You said this in your heart, Lucifer, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. You said this about yourself, Lucifer, I will make myself like the Most High. You see, Satan was not content at being the highest ranking created being that has ever been made, no. He was not content dwelling constantly in the presence of his God. No, he became jealous. He sought equality with him. Pride. Pride. Ascending himself above the clouds, making himself like the Most High, the long war with God began at that moment in time. And you and I, we, we found ourselves right in the middle of that battle. Like it or not. You see, Satan was not alone in his battle. Let me just give you a little, 
little hint. You don't need to turn. Revelations chapter 12, verses 3 and 4 says this, that he took a third of the angels with him when he fell. Why they went, who, who knows? A third of them went. And the target has been Christ in his redemptive work to free us, mankind, from our sin from the very get-go. Until finally Satan saw Jesus Christ crucified. Yay, they yelled, only to have their, their own head crushed. His power, Satan's forever shattered. How? Through the resurrection. Easter Sunday, what we celebrate every year. No, you and I, we celebrate it every week here. Easter, he is risen, he is risen indeed. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be Easter to say that. That's the greatest statement you and I have as believers. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We serve and love a risen Savior. But it's not just Jesus Christ that Satan is against. No, he wants to attack the people of God. You see, he can't stop what has already been taking place. He can't stop the resurrection. That has happened. But he can diminish our effectiveness, can he not? That's his point. He wants to attack the church. And he does it often through members of the church who are prideful. Listen, the truth of the matter is Satan could care less about you and me. His attack against you and me is just really a, a, an opportunity to to thwart the plans of God, if he can. Whatever God has in store for us at this church, he'd love to disrupt this church so as to stop whatever God is doing through us. Six to eight kids come to Christ? Not on our watch, Alma. But who knows? Who amongst us knows here if there couldn't have been a hundred kids to come to Christ this past week if we had not done all that God has asked us to do over the weeks and months and years that we've been a part of the church? Who knows what he has done? I don't. I just trust that God is in control. So how you and I fare in this battle against against the evil one, reflects upon our God. You see, if, if, if you and I are defeated, then in effect, so has God been somewhat defeated in, in that small realm, you know? And when we're victorious, six to eight young people, there's rejoicing in heaven. We've beaten off the attacks of the evil one for that moment in time. You see, that's why, that's why Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, remember it. He says, I want you to suffer hardships with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Timothy. I say the same thing to you and I say it to myself. I want you and me to suffer hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ for the cause of Christ at the Rock Community Church. To be victorious within our churches, you and I have to understand how Satan wants to attack the church today. Let me just 
briefly share with you. First, he wants to blind the mind of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, If our gospel is veiled, in other words, if the preaching of what I do here is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, it says. In whose case, it says in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. Folks, we have to stay as pure as we can so as to reach those that come to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Satan tries to devastate the church by those who are already believers amongst us to cripple and destroy their credibility, their witness, our witness for the cause of Christ. You see, when Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, he called him by his name, Simon, Simon, he says, behold, Satan has demanded permission to shift you like wheat. I mean, really, really, would you like to have been Peter at that moment? Not me, not me. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, Satan wants after you. He's asking me permission to sift you like wheat. <laughs> Lord, please don't. Satan wanted to destroy Peter's witness. And if he had succeeded, Peter could have become ineffective for the upcoming battles that he had for the cause of Christ. And so Peter penned these words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I want you to be of sober spirit. I want you to be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. Third, Satan would love to attack this church through our marriages and our families. That's what he wants to do to every church, really. Paul commanded husbands and wives to stop depriving one another except by agreement in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Devote yourselves to prayer. Come together so that Satan will no longer tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Strong marriages, strong families are a prerequisite for a healthy church. That's why we, Pastor Fred and, and Brent and Melissa and others, have really tried to formulate our, our marriages, our families here at this church. It's, it's what we are about. But let's face it, the recent upsurge in divorce and other family problems, even among Christians, indicates that Satan is having some success. Not here, please, not here. Not in our watch, please. Let's keep our families and our marriages intact. Lastly, uh, Satan wants to attack the church through the church's leadership. Look again. If you're in 1 Timothy, of course you are, I think. Look again at, at verse 20. Hymenaeus, Alexander. You see, they were teachers. They were teaching in the church. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. It talks about the, what a, a leader in the church ought to look like. They must be of good reputation with those who are outside of the church so that they will not fall into reproach in the snare, by the snare of the devil. There's no one in church that Satan would rather destroy than its leadership. Folks, you need to pray for us. I tell you with all of my heart, we make no decisions haphazardly here. 
None. Some would like some to think we have, we have not. Never. Leader after leader within the church itself has been devastated by Satan's attack through pride, through the desire for materialism, or unwilling to follow authority that's over them. And the result for the church is tragic. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 31, if the shepherd, if the shepherd was to fall away, the flock would scatter. So how do we defend ourselves? Well, by staying pure to the Word of God, by loving each other and trusting one another, by praying for one another, knowing what's written in here and, and trusting, trusting, trusting each other as we follow after our Lord, our God. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I love you all. I cannot begin to tell you how much I love you all. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Father in heaven above, thank you for this church. Uh, thank you that we learned from Paul through Timothy that we, we must stand firm. We've been called, dear Father, for a purpose, every single one of us. We've been called, dear God, that we would follow after what you have for us, that we would... Uh, take our charge seriously, that we would keep the commandments, and that, Father, we would guard what you have entrusted to us with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our might, with all of our minds. I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. I love you all with all my heart.